0: Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. We share local information, resources, and support, and opportunities to volunteer for projects that help clean, protect, and repair the environment. This show is brought to you by Go Green Locally org, a nonprofit whose mission is To provide information, resources, and support To take local, individual, and Collective action to care for the environment And community. If you'd like to let us know About a green event, then please call 929-GO-GREEN or visit GoGreenLocally.org, Northern Nevada And log in to add it to the event directory On today's show, we'll be hearing from a local Doctor that integrates eastern and Western medical modalities to give Additional options that can be Less toxic to ourselves and to the environment. We'll also be hearing from a farm in Elko that has been in the family for five generations. They will be contributing some of their wisdom on natural gardening and farming in the extremes of northern Nevada. We also have some green living tips, a newly certified green business, local upcoming events, and we'll be sharing a COVID-19 farm aid program that might be helpful if you're farming in Nevada. I just want to say, I never cease to be amazed how much is going on in the Northern Nevada green community. There's so many sincere people working through nonprofits, local government, farms, and small businesses that are taking action to make the whole community a more sustainable, healthy, and eco-friendly place to live. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Chen with the Chen Center in Reno, Nevada, and he's going to share with us some of the ways that alternative health practices can aid in improving our health, reducing our stress, and supporting our immune system. System using methods that tend to be less toxic and friendlier to the environment. Welcome, Dr. Chen.
1: Hi, hello. How are you today?
0: So thank you so much for taking time to share with us some of the alternative methods that you practice at the Chen Center and some of the ways that this might support our health. Uh,
1: Absolutely. So at the Chen Center, we do a few different things. One of our main goals is to combine Eastern and Western medicine. And so we kind of try to take the books of both worlds, actually. So of course, we do Western pharmaceuticals, obviously Western kind of protocols and things like that. I am a Western physician. I'm a family dog trained. Um, But- Uh, board certified family doc, but also we kind of add in Chinese medicine as well. I spent many years studying acupuncture and Chinese herbs. And so I find that the combination of the two is really, really beneficial. And so once we can kind of work on things from one side, from the Western side, and if it doesn't give us all the answers or doesn't give us all the benefits, then we can switch over to the other side. And I've also recently started integrating kind of Western herbs as well into the whole practice.
0: Are you using Chinese herbs at all, or you're just...
1: So I actually use mainly Western herbs, mainly because they're easier to obtain and I can be assured of the quality for the most part. We have quite good, uh, I guess, reviews and uh, studies on Western herbs. It's a little bit more difficult to get studies especially concerning purity as well as uh, availability. And in addition, there's quite a bit of good research on exactly kind of which herbs, which Western herbs are less contaminated, which Western herbs have kind of exactly what's built on their uh, on their information sheet. And so being assured of quality is something that's quite important to me. I want to make absolutely sure that my patients are getting what I want them to get. And so that's why in many cases, I end up using a lot of Western herbs. In some cases, we're dealing with Western diagnoses and the Western herbs are better at treating Western diagnoses in some ways.
0: Gotcha. Can you tell us a little bit about how... how acupuncture works. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Acupuncture is, as you know, several thousand years old. It's at least two or 3,000 years old at this point. And the traditional Chinese medicine theory about acupuncture had a lot to do with kind of the flow of energy. We term it qi, right? And the free flow of energy is important for health. If it gets stopped up, if it gets blocked, then disease results. Obviously, it's a very difficult answer for a Western population. And so there's been quite a bit of research on the different modalities through which acupuncture can actually work from a, in some ways, a Western framework. And so I like to point out to three different ideas, but the easiest one to think about is nerve. And so in general, you can say that acupuncture needles are put underneath the skin and they not necessarily contact the nerves directly but they get very close and so you send a signal from that particular nerve to the brain helps the brain to release different hormones and then after that, it may also lead to some local effects as well, close to where you put the needle. And so I think that's easiest to say that the acupuncture needles affect the nerves and the nerves lead to kind of both local as well as distance effects. The other two answers, which I think are also quite reasonable, are one of kind of its effect on muscles. And so, of course, when you're putting needles into acupuncture points, often we contact muscles. Muscles have this characteristic where they get tight um, and they get knots. In fact, we generally call these trigger points. And so if you put an acupuncture needle in a trigger point, it can help to release the muscle, releasing tension. And what's really interesting about trigger points is not only do they have local effects, but they can also kind of distribute pain to other locations as well. And I usually like to use the example of the knot in your shoulder, right? Almost everybody has one from working with computers and that kind of stuff. If you deactivate the trigger point in your shoulder. Not only does your shoulder feel better, but your neck often feels better. And in fact, sometimes it relieves your headache as well that came from the neck or from the shoulder trigger point. Furthermore, the last thing that I think is also really interesting is the concept of fascia, which is kind of like the saran wrap or the plastic wrap that covers all the tissues and the bones and things like that. And it forms kind of a scaffolding or a structure that helps the body, of course, to stay together. And so, But when you use an acupuncture needle, you can kind of tug on the fascia a little bit and kind of, Causing a mechanical signal transduction, or just kind of sending a message to a different part of the body, and so thus we can say that if I tug on the fascia of your pinky toe, I might actually help something like your uh, pinky finger in your hand. So there's a few different ways. There's other even more complicated explanations, but I think it's important to recognize that there's not necessarily one unified theory about how acupuncture works. But I think that there's many individual components that have merit.
0: So um, would you say that it's a helpful technique to avoid maybe more toxic medications for pain relief or pain management?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jenny. I mean, I think that's the beauty of acupuncture is that, of course, there's no medications on the needles. They're just stainless steel. And Because of that, of course, there's much fewer, much less likelihood for any type of interactions with the medications that you're taking and things like that. And by kind of using the brain pathway that we just talked about recently, we can induce the brain actually to release its own neurochemicals, its own, you could say, pain-relieving chemicals. And... In that way, we can relieve pain without actually having to resort to anything. And we don't even need to resort to herbs or other types of supplements. And of course, we don't need to resort to pharmaceuticals. Of course, the only difficulty here is that the treatment of acupuncture is also time delimited, just kind of like a pill that you take. And so it needs to be repeated at some type of regular interval for chronic pains.
0: What are some ways that your center help people in the area of maybe supporting or improving their health or immune system?
1: I think my center is really interested in kind of making prevention a big goal. And so for my patients. And so specifically, we talk a lot about helping people with weight loss or improving their dietary habits or improving their exercise uh, habits, their physical activity habits. And it sounds like all these things are a little bit less glorious than talking about you know Chinese medicine or Western pharmaceuticals and things like that. But truthfully, all the research tells us that the best way to treat a disease is actually to prevent a disease. In fact, actually lifestyle modifications, such as we talked about the diet, the exercise, things like that can be actually really beneficial in reducing, relieving, even preventing chronic illnesses, which is, I think, something that we all want. And so that's one thing that I'm really excited about at the Chen Center. I get to do all these things for our patients.
0: So what are some of the ways that you support uh, people in making lifestyle changes?
1: I think the most important thing that helps my patients make lifestyle changes is actually just kind of listen to them and to see what, to hear what it is that they want to say, hear what it is that they want to tell us. We have also dietary help as well. We've got very good dietary consultants to help people with improving their diets. We've got a meditation teacher as well. And so there's all kinds of different things that we pull in, different services that we pull in. But I think the most absolutely important thing is to help people along with their with their efforts to change. And the best help I find is the simple gift of time. And so I spend a lot of time with our patients. We have half hour or hour long visits and we have a dedicated support staff and all of us are available very, very frequently. Myself, I'm available 24 seven for my patients. and My support staff is available many hours of the day as well.
0: Nice. So um, I noticed from your website that you have options for one-on-one acupuncture as well as group acupuncture. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: We wanted to find a way that people can access acupuncture at a little bit more of a more affordable, as well as an easier to access method. And that is the group acupuncture. In other communities or other places, it's called community acupuncture. And so that's uh, at this point, of course, we've had to change things around for coronavirus, for the COVID-19, but it is several people in one single room. We have a very large back room. We are able to maintain six feet of uh, distance between everybody. And so at this point, it's four people in our back room and then they each of have their own dividers and things like that. And I go to each person, talk to them about their individual complaints, their concerns. I put needles in them and they sit in our very comfortable chairs. And then I just go to the next person and treat them and the next person. It's a little bit less, well, I guess you can say private, but I think that the benefits are very similar to one-on-one acupuncture.
0: All right. So if people wanted to find out about more of articles or uh, podcasts, et cetera, would you have that available on your website?
1: Absolutely. I think that uh, we'll be continually updating our website. The website, of course, is thechencenter.com. And of course, they're also welcome to call into our office at uh,
0: uh, 775-451-2436. Great. So do you have any um, parting words of wisdom dealing with today's situation, trying to take care of their health, mind and body?
1: If we're talking about the coronavirus, obviously masks and hand washing and things like that is very important. But I think that there's one thing that we often don't speak about in the public media, which is your health determines the severity and the outcomes of an infection with the coronavirus. Of course, we all want to prevent infection with the coronavirus. But if you do get the COVID-19, then it's very important that prior to it, you've in some ways been working on your health. And so Everything that we talk about in terms of trying to get people healthier, in terms of decreasing the burden of chronic illness, increasing their exercise, their you know, the, the frequency of exercise, improving their diets, you know, increasing more the plant-based foods as opposed to processed foods, as an example. All these things can be really useful in helping people to improve their you could even say survivability for the COVID-19 infection. And so for any type of infection that we don't have a real good antibiotic or antiviral for it's very essential for people to take care of their own health before they get to that infectious stage, I guess you could say.
0: Thank you, Dr. Chen, for taking the time to speak with us. and now we're going to hear from Lotch Beach Farm. Today I'm speaking with Leslie and her son Dan Lots Beach with Lots Beach Farm in Elko. They're going to be sharing with us some ways they garden naturally on their farm and how they do it successfully Successfully in spite of the challenges of local weather, soil, and pests. Welcome, Leslie and Dan.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: So how long have you been farming there um, on your land?
3: We are generational. So we have been here farming for, actively farming for about 20 years Um, We have been commercially farming for five
0: years. So you said generationally. How many generations have been on your farm there?
2: Uh, I'm the fifth generation uh, here on the farm.
0: Nice. And so what um, has your family been growing um, on those generations in the past up till now?
2: So we've traditionally had, uh, they, they've traditionally grown hay. We've got about 120 acres of of irrigated pasture land. And then in addition to that, uh, the hay was was typically to support small sheep and cattle herds that they uh, raised as well. And there have been various things on the farm over time. There, there have been chickens in the past at various times and uh, one of my uh, great-great-uncles was also a, uh, a very dedicated gardener. So we had a, a long-established garden plot where he tried to grow everything he absolutely could from uh, apparently peanuts at one point in the past he attempted to grow. I don't know how well that worked out. <laughs> That's a pretty southern uh, southern plant. To watermelons, to the run-of-the-mill things that uh, that everybody grows.
3: Jenny, our region here is typically a ranching region, And so we get approximately between 10 and 12 inches of rain annually watered there. Our main irrigation source is through surface water, which means it comes off the mountains and then flows past our place on towards the river and then down through the state that way. Our region truly is not known for growing many things beyond hay and lots of great alfalfa here and lots of good cattle and sheep in this area. But not too much produce.
0: So, what are some of the challenges that you've been facing growing um, in that area?
2: Well, the uh, the first and most obvious one that comes to mind is the weather is constantly a challenge. Uh, just yesterday, we got about two inches of snow, uh, and there is still some snow on the ground this morning. It froze. Uh, this is we're we're speaking on the eighth of June, and we're supposed to freeze again tonight. So, we've tried to cover everything that we could. And And, but we had, you know, for instance, green beans growing outside. We had outside of our hoop houses, I mean, uh, which we do a lot of our growing in. We had just transplanted some cantaloupe outside. So I don't think it typically grows well under snow, so we're, d- we're just going to have to see how that goes. Uh, we just get a lot of extremes there in temperature because two days before, uh, before it snowed yesterday, it was about 90 degrees, and we've had unseasonably warm temperatures all throughout May. That just seem to be doing a lot of uh, rotating between that unseasonably warm and then freezing at night a few weeks a few days later. So it's it's a challenge.
3: Beyond the weather, we get to experience dry, extremely dry, strong winds on a regular basis on there. Um, we have limited water resources, because like I said, ours is all surface water that comes through. And so we get
0: the opportunity to do lots of things. Do you, um, how do you water? Irrigation? Like uh, drip irrigation? or
2: Right, yes. We're set up to uh, drip irrigate almost all of the vegetable things. We have a combination between the uh, the flood irrigation for our, for our pastures, we have a combination of the flood irrigation systems that my uh, great grandfather and his brothers set up and some newer sprinkler systems that we've put in. And uh, we're always trying to get more efficient with those irrigation systems. And so that's one of the other challenges that we're working on as we go also.
0: Excellent. So I know we, as uh, spec, um, a little bit previously that you uh, mentioned you're working with uh, soil scientists, maybe on some additional ways to build up your soil. So what, what are maybe some of those things that you're doing and testing those kinds of things?
2: Um, so a few of the things, one of the things that we've started doing is establishing a regular soil testing program so that we are getting a snapshot of what the soil looks like every single year. And the other part of that is We're testing at the same time of year um, because the soil is going to to fluctuate quite a bit as it warms up or cools down and there's more more plants growing in it, more microbiological activity. So we're testing the same time every year. So that has allowed us to really get a picture of what we have going on in our soils to begin with and how effective some of the things that that we're trying to do to increase the soil fertility and the soil health um, are working over time. One of the things we found right. Right way, is that we have high pH soils kind of as a rule across this area. Um, several of the other farms, we've, we've shared soil test information. And all throughout the county, it seems, we kind of are dealing with, with the same types of issues. Um, very high calcium levels, very high magnesium levels, and those add up to high pH kind of all the way across the board. And so that's one of the challenges that we deal with. Being desert soils, they tend to be lower in organic matter. And then for that reason. They're a little bit lower in some of the, the important things that you need. Uh, the, the major nutrients like the nitrogen uh, and phosphorus is a constant challenge for us. And then a lot of micronutrients end up being very deficient as well. And uh, we're really starting to see through our soil testing program, the benefits that, that adding those micronutrients uh, bring to the table. We've started, uh, over the last two years, we've been incorporating micronutrients into our soil fertility program, so specifically adding copper, zinc, boron, and iron, iron into our uh, into our fertilizer program and and finding ways to increase that. Mostly little bits at a time, though we've had some some fun experiments where we went a little bit overboard, but uh, we are absolutely seeing the results of that. We, one of the things we're seeing is we're constant we're steadily watching our pepper and tomato yields go up. They're kind of a, a signal crop that we use that we keep a lot of records on, so we're able to really monitor and see how well they're doing and how our soil fertility program is working. So those continue to march up. And uh, year over year, between last year and the year before, we actually doubled our pepper yields by increasing those micronutrients uh, and, and doing a couple of other things. So we're we're seeing real benefits from, from the soil testing program and from monitoring those, those soil fertility levels.
3: I'm going to jump in here a moment, Dan, and talk about also the fact that we see it through our plant health. So we've noticed that our peppers now have stems that are, goodness, as, as big around as your finger. And that's way larger, way more sturdy than it has in the past. Obviously, nutrients have a better opportunity of passing through a larger stem that way. Uh, we've noticed that our tomatoes are growing by leaps and bounds um, in spite of the weather and and all the things that we have um, environmentally going on. They're just continuing to thrive through there. We have been able to grow lettuce that we've never grown before. It's beautiful. It's healthy. It's flavorful. All of these things.
0: So are you working with adding compost or natural soil amendments or you're using synthetic or how are you...
2: Oh yeah, no. So that's a that's a good point. We kind of jumped uh, jumped ahead, but compost is is definitely the the base of our soil fertility program. Um, and where we have our hoop houses, uh, since it's that's a relatively small area, um, we still raise cattle and sheep. And so, uh, especially in the wintertime when they're gathered in one location and and dropping a lot of manure, we're able to collect that manure from that, from the barnyard and things like that. And we laid down a very heavy base of that to begin with in, in the areas where we have our hoop houses and definitely saw immediate benefits to that in the just the jump in the soil nutrient levels, the much nicer soil texture, and just the increased amount of, of biological life. You know, we can't visually see the, the microbiological life, but the difference in earthworms um, that were present in that was immediate. So a lot of the signs that the biological life in the soil is healthier were, were there just immediately as soon, as soon as we started using a lot of that. And then uh, more recently than we've been using the hoop houses, we've been starting to get into composting, both for, you know, with, with changes with the, uh, oh, what is the name of the regulation, the uh, Food Safety Modernization Act. The compost is a little bit easier to use since uh, if, if you hot compost, there are fewer restrictions on how you can use that. And uh, whereas, you know, on un- uncomposted manure, there's a lot longer time between when you apply it and when you can harvest various things and things like that. So there's definitely some benefits. The compost- Compost is also more stable, has a little bit more of that humus and organic matter already present in it. And so we've been going a little bit more toward that here in recent years. And that's uh, that's a learning process as well. Learning how to compost is not an easy thing. And uh, that's been a, a fun thing to learn. But that, does, that forms the basis of our soil fertility program. And then uh, with the micronutrients, a lot of those we have been adding. Individually, Um, we've been using elemental sulfur. Uh, Most of our of the micronutrients, like the iron, the zinc, and the copper that we've been using, we use sulfates, ones in sulfate forms, and those are all Omri approved, you know, organic approved additives as well. But a lot of those, we are going with the micronutrients. We are going with the single nutrient forms, just because of the degree of control then that we can that we can use in making sure we get the levels right and don't overdo it on anything like that. Um, and, uh, and make sure that we're getting the balance correct in, in our nutrient
0: levels. Gotcha. So what are some of your strategies to to help prolong the growing season?
3: Okay, well, we go and we start our seeds in February and we have a germination room. We call it a germination room because it's really tight, but we use an external heat source to be able to go and keep the little plants alive and and all of that. From there we go and we plant outside into our hoop house. We go and we use a black ground cover and that's so that it can go and absorb heat, especially when it's cold on days like this. And then the other thing that we use is beyond the hoop houses, inside the hoop houses, we use jugs of water. So we save our melt jugs and um, my son-in-law was using biologicals that came in a two-and-a-half-gallon jug. We saved all of his jugs, and we placed those between our plants filled with water. The science behind it is that during the day when the sun shines, the plant or the, the jug, the water jug, collects water. Um, heat. At night when it's colder four things will freeze they actually release heat and heat calories and so that helps to go and to keep our plants in a more stable environment. Uh, They don't have to go and experience all the highs and lows that we do outside anyway. We use ground cover and we use row cover. Row cover that we use is Agribon. It comes in a lots of different weights and so on. This one with the snow, our favorite weight was 50.
2: The, some of the heaviest stuff available yes. is what we've been relying on lately.
3: Um, most of the time, it's wind, and so our favorite weight is about a 20. It just depends.
0: So you, have you found certain varieties of plants that you like, that you recommend grow well in the area?
2: So since we do a lot of our growing in, in hoop houses, some of, a lot of the things that, that we love and grow wouldn't necessarily do well outside the hoop house, but we have found some. Um, fantastic specific ones that we can recommend you know one of our staple crops is tomatoes there are a couple that we have discovered in the last few years that are actually heirlooms that we absolutely love one is called caitlin burger frua liba we just call them q's because they've got such a ridiculously long name you can find them uh i know it at uh, totally, tomatoes sells them, and it 's an heirloom that is a true forty five day tomato so from the time you transplant the tomato to when they start to ripen we we have tried a lot of the earlys, you know early girls we tried once one year and we just called them girls because there was nothing early about them, but these cues are are really, really early and actually have really good flavor, which is sometimes missing in early tomatoes. So that's one we love. Um, another heirloom was is called uh, Umberto, and that's an Italian paste tomato. It's a little small pink tomato, but that plant is absolutely the most vigorous plant that we grow to the point where we've started using it at the end of our hoop houses as a windbreak for the other tomatoes. Some of the others, uh, we found a variety of sweet corn. Uh, it's called Sweetness. Uh, It's an F1 hybrid. That one is, I think it's usually listed as 65 or 68 days. With our growing season being so extremely short and facing such extremes, we've reliably gotten sweet corn out of that variety for three years in a row. And two of those three years... We definitely would not have if we had corn that, that took any longer than that. So we love that. one. And then a couple of other things we found lately, we've been trying to grow more melons. And so we found uh, that canary melons actually ripen, you know, they, they get to the stage where they ripen around here. So we become big fans of those and we're doing a lot more than we did last year when we just tried them. And we found a cantaloupe variety that's called Halona. It's a little bit smaller, has a little bit smaller melons that it produces, but they also ripen reliably. So that's another one. So um,
0: where are you selling your produce?
2: Um, We've got, we do a few things. We do on-farm sales. We're easy to find on Google Maps. We're rural enough that uh, some of the other mapping services don't, don't actually put us in the right place. But on Google Maps, you can uh, find us. And But then the majority of our sales are through uh, farmer's markets. We are uh, at three of the local farmer's markets, the Elko farmer's market, Uh, Lamoille and Wells Farmer's Markets, um, all here in Elko County. And then uh, we also have started selling produce to a local restaurant, uh, Luciano's Restaurant in Elko. We've started regularly selling produce to them. They've been a fantastic partner and really enthusiastic about working with local growers. We are also planning, we're building relationships with uh, two of the local florists in Elko, Um, Because we've gotten into cut flower production this year, too. So at uh, Jules Floral Studios in Elko and Mm -hmm. uh, Evergreen uh, Florists there in Elko are two that we've been working with that we will hopefully have flowers into them uh, very soon.
3: Very good. So what type of flowers are you growing? So we have carnations. We have snapdragons that we're so excited about because their stems are almost as big as and thick as your little mm-hmm. finger. They're just beautiful on there. We have asters. We have stock. And then we grew a wide variety outside. I don't know what they're going to look like after last
0: night, so we'll find out. <laughs> Excellent. So how, uh, how can people get a hold of you?
2: Facebook is the easiest way to get a hold of us. Uh, Lots Beach Family Farm on Facebook. I will hopefully have our web page up this week we're hoping and that will just be lotspeechfamilyfarm.com
0: nice and you want to spell Lotspeech for everyone just so they
2: uh that's l-o-t-s-p-e-i-c-h
0: Thank you, Dan and Leslie, for sharing that information on how we can better garden and farm naturally with the challenges of growing in our area. So moving on to our monthly segment, we're going to start highlighting businesses that have become recently green certified with Green Biz Tracker. So I'd like to congratulate Extremely Emollient. Today I'm speaking with Brian Morris, who's the founder and co-owner of Extremely Emollient in Reno, Nevada. It creates and sells handcrafted organic, vegan, and cruelty-free body butters, CBD butters, scrubs, lip balms, bath bombs. Baby butters, beard butters, and pet butters. So tell us a little bit about your newly green certified business. I've noticed that you sell a number of different creams that use organic shea butter and coconut oils as a base. Can you tell us a little bit about why that is important for your product?
4: Yeah, and thank you for having me. Um, First and foremost, when this company was started, uh, we wanted to make sure that we did not involve uh, anything harmful to the human body no petroleum products, no distillates of that type. thing, no derivatives. And we also wanted to be able to do everything we could to ensure that no human misery was being created uh, so that we could create. And to that effect, I was able to find uh, our shea butter source from a a village in the area of northern Ghana, Africa, that has uh, I've been offering both wild harvested shea butter and raw shea butter, and we are able to source it uh, from that area every single time. And that way, the women that are there, and they've uh, all been widowed uh, due to civil war in the air they are actually able to uh, earn a living there for them and their families, and it is transferring into the second generation. And then for the coconut, uh, that was a little easier because there was already a path established for us that we were able to link into, and that is a fair trade collective that comes in. Uh, from the philippines
0: nice so um so how do our listeners find out more about your products or maybe how to purchase them
4: they can visit us on our website at extremely emollient.com
0: super and you're also selling at some farmers markets that's
4: correct Uh, the weekly markets we have right now are uh, farish united methodist church on Tuesday morning, and there's the Minden Farmers Market, Esmeralda Market on Tuesday evening. There's Incline Village on Thursday evenings, and Tamarack Junction in South Reno on Saturday morning.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your business, and we appreciate your taking the time and um, effort to become Green Certified.
4: Thank you again.
0: So now, I'd like to give a quick shout out to some of our nonprofits that are doing great things in our community. Flint Street Farms has distributed over 400 pounds of fresh produce to Community Health Alliance, the Empowerment Center, and Reno Initiative for Shelter and Equality, and Food Not Bombs in the last 40 days. Next, Farmily is starting to break ground at the Bridge Church on a huge permaculture garden called Katie's Garden that will provide a larger learning site for our Boys and Girls Club. Program, as well as fresh produce for the food pantry at the church. They're also looking for donations for Katie's Garden, and folks can make their tax-deductible contributions at ourfarmily.org like to make an announcement. Harvest uh, NV is a nonprofit organization that promotes sustainability and food security by working with local residents and volunteers to harvest, collect, and donate fruits and veggies from backyard fruit trees and gardens. So please contact them at harvestnv at gmail.com if you would like to help volunteer pick or if you have a tree that needs to be picked. A quick note, this is the time of year when we sometimes see more bugs. I'm seeing the ants myself. And one thing that was brought up is that peppermint oil is a great deterrent to a number of different types of rodents and bugs. Um, And often the chemical-laden bug sprays are quite toxic. You can even use this for deterring mosquitoes. So if you'd like to try to use peppermint as a repellent, there are a few safety guidelines to follow and some very simple recipes to make your own. Um, I will post that under local resources, home and garden advice. And now for our monthly recycling tip. If you have a question on how to recycle anything, then please head to ktmb.org. There's an excellent resource list where you can search how to recycle just about anything. Today's tip is for bubble wrap and air pillows that often come with packages. You can actually take these to three different stores in the area and they will reuse them. It's even better than recycling as they don't have to waste the energy to remanufacture them and it will help add protection to someone else's packages. This is the UPS store on Keystone and Reno. Pack mail in Incline, Village and postal annex on disk drive and sparks. Okay, I'm going to do a quick rundown of upcoming events. The Greenhouse Project in Carson City, August 7th. A class designing for abundance, food, forests, and edible landscapes. Uh, Probably likely going to be a virtual event, but check in with their website. Um, Also at their uh, location or virtual would be September 4th, Growing Glorious Garlic with Glorious Garlic Farm. September 20th, Truckee Meadow Earth Day. Another event, a Facebook page called Blue Wind School of Botanical Studies has an edible and medicinal plants of Great Basin Desert Reno area class coming up uh, September 26, which is a Saturday at 9 a.m. You can check out their Facebook page. We have the KTMB's Truckee River Cleanup, September 26th, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And Keep Tahoe Blue organization has a number of Tahoe Blue crew virtual trainings in July, the 14th, 16th, 26th, 29th, and 30th at various times. So check that out. I just learned about a COVID farm aid for Nevada farmers. Just got posted July 7th. Uh, recently, the CCOF Foundation has a small relief fund for Nevada growers, and you don't have to be certified organic to apply. Uh, the award ranges between 1000 and 2500 and there is a link to register if you go to farmnevada.org. And the deadline to apply for that is August 13th. Thank you for listening to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast. Please take good care of you and yours. Stay well and help us all make this a kinder, healthier, and greener community for all.